Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. So many great things happening. Hope that you'll take advantage of all of them and especially the block party. What a fun deal. We've never done this as a church and we're just going all in. And so you can, you heard her talk about all of the things that will be there. It is for every age group. And so we'd encourage everybody to be a part of it. Inflatables, food trucks, live worship, uh, 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 baptism. That's the word I was looking for. It's a real complicated one. And so maybe for some of you, you're like, I I don't know about a Sunday morning baptism, but you're willing to do it on that Wednesday night. And so we'd encourage you to come and be a part of that. Some yard games for those of you who are competitive. Uh, I'm up, I'll I'll gladly challenge you uh, in that. And we're just gonna have some fun. How many know that we can have fun as followers of Jesus and as the body of Christ? And this is just a place where we can do it. So I uh, encourage you all to, uh, to make plans to be there. You can scan that QR code and see more information about that. Well, listen, I really am glad that you're here today. And last week, we kicked off a new series called The Building Blocks of Faith. And we talked about the foundation last week because it's of utmost importance. And our, our faith can't be built on anything else besides Jesus Christ. Right, And if we try to build our faith on anything other than that foundation, our faith will crumble. And so last week, we looked at the story of the wise and the foolish builder. And Jesus tells us that the wise builder built their house on the rock, that when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew, the house was able to stand. But for the foolish builder, the person who built their house on the sand, when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew, then the house was destroyed. We exist as a church to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God, to grow in their relationship with him and go tell the world the good news, right? In order for us to do that, our foundation has to be built on Christ, the solid rock and nothing else. In order for us to fulfill that mission, Jesus has to be at our foundation and over and around everything. I don't know about you, but I want a faith that will endure, Right, when I get to the end of this race of faith, however long that might be, I I want my faith to have endured, to be able to cross the finish line of faith and hear the words from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right, I, I want my faith to endure and I also want the faith of the next generation to endure. I want the faith of my son and my daughter to endure. I want the faith of their future spouses and my future grandchildren to endure. And last week we talked about that if Christ is our foundation, that he has to be our priority. He has to be our passion and he has to be our purpose. In order for our faith to endure and for the next generation's faith to endure, Jesus must be our priority. He must be our purpose and must be our passion. And I know you want your faith to endure as well. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go online and watch on Facebook or YouTube or on our website and and watch that or listen on Spotify. So last week we laid the foundation. And once the foundation has been laid, then we can add building blocks onto that foundation. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at some of those building blocks. Today, we're gonna look at the building block that I wanna call togetherness. 
togetherness. Our society celebrates the rugged individualist, the person that in their narrative is self-made. How many know that as followers of Jesus, there's nothing in our life that we can claim where we're self-made? Anything good in our life has simply come because of the grace of Jesus in our lives. And without his love and his favor working in our lives, we're nothing and we have nothing. And it's important for us to recognize this morning that our, our faith in Christ is absolutely very individualistic. Right, And so none of us are going to make it to heaven by looking at our grandmother's faith or at our grandfather's faith or at our parents' faith. Right, The way that we make it to heaven is individually we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we're saved. That's how it works. And as much as I would want that and wish that upon any of you, I can't do that for you. That's a decision that you have to make on your own. It's an individual decision. But once we make that decision to be followers of Jesus, we are called to live in community with one another, to have this element of togetherness. It's not an individual sport. Acts chapter 2 records the launch of the modern New Testament church. And we see in this church that, that Christianity was a faith that was practiced and lived together. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 this dynamic outpouring of the Holy Spirit on these early believers. It was incredible. If you've not read about it, I'd encourage you later this week, open up Acts chapter 2 and read about this supernatural, incredible moment. But because of what happened, these believers' lives were changed forever. They had witnessed and experienced something together that they couldn't ignore or forget. And Acts chapter 2 records that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Can you imagine, in a moment, 3,000 people being added to this church? It would revolutionize things to still think that that would only uh, represent 35% of our population uh, in Waverly still tells us that there's a tremendous amount of work to do, that 3,000 could be added to our number and there's still more work that could be done. But Acts chapter 2 verse number 42 records a snapshot of something so inspirational as the early believers lived out their faith together. The days ahead for them were uncertain, but they were empowered by the Spirit, and they moved together, moved ahead together with God and each other. So verse 42, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. It's also going to be on the screen, or you could scroll on your digital devices to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves, this is after 3,000 people were added to them, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I realize that as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that culturally and historically things were very different than the days that we live in today. In fact, I wouldn't propose to you that this is necessarily a model that's sustainable for how church can look. But I do think it was something that was necessitated by what had just happened. And in addition to that, there was an urgency in their lives to see God move even greater uh, among them. And so there's this huge influx of new believers, over 3,000 in one day and more added each day. These people needed the instruction of the word of God as well as fellowship with God's people if they were to grow into who God created them to be. In addition to that, they believed that when Jesus ascended that it was just a I'll be right back kind of moment. And so for them, there was nothing more urgent or more critical uh, for them to do than, than what they were doing. And so I don't necessarily think that this is a sustainable model. I think that there are four things that they did that are vitally important to our relationship and our walk with Christ and a priority for us as a church. Over time, with the delaying of Christ's return, the church looks drastically different than it did 2,000 years ago. But as we look at the signs of the times, we've never been closer to the return of Christ as what we are right now. And I'll say that no one knows the day or the hour that Christ will return. And I would encourage you, if you're reading books or listening to podcasts of people who are telling you the exact day and the exact moment that Jesus is going to come back, that you would delete that and not listen to it because they're liars and they're false prophets. Like the word of God is true. And it says no one knows the day or the hour. So let's stick to the word of God and, and see that. No one knows the day or the hour, but it, we've never been closer in history than what we are right now. And as such, the importance of building our faith and the faith of others should be priority. While culturally we're living in drastically different times, I believe that the four things that the early church did in this passage together are still of utmost importance for us to practice and prioritize. There was a hunger in the early church that led to the frequency of the things that they did. They had encountered such a life-changing moment that there was nothing more important to them than this. There was an appetite that was created and a hunger. And PG hadn't seen my notes in, in first service when he came up and shared the exact same thing that he did in second service. My wife and I just looked at each other because she had seen my notes. And you start talking about this hunger and this appetite and you pray at the end and you say that life's so much more fun when we get to eat together with other people, I'm like, man, you're given the appetizer and the first entree in this, in, this, uh, in this entire meal today. But God's speaking to us through multiple elements. PG, thank you. Don't we have the best children's pastors on the planet? PG and Darlene, y'all are incredible. Man, they're the best. The first thing that we see in this passage that the early church did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were attending the temple each day to listen to the apostles' teaching. They were going there to hear preaching every day. Some of you are like, I'm good. You know, once, once, once is good. And they're like every day going to hear the scriptures talked about and the apostles share stories of their time with Jesus. And the temple was a place where they would have gathered to grow in their knowledge of the word of God. Here's what Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
There's a word that I would like to add into this verse this morning just for emphasis and reread it. This is for the word of God, and here's the word I would insert is still. For the word of God is still living and still active and still sharper than any two-edged sword. It's still piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and still discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is still for us today and it's vital for us having an enduring faith. These individuals gathered collectively daily to learn from the word of God. When you think about the frequency in which we gather, for some of you, you would say, well, we gather weekly to hear the proclamation of God's word corporately. Maybe for others of you, you're on a different rotation other than weekly. And so maybe for you, it's twice a month or twice a year even. And we think about the return of Jesus and how imminent it is and for us to have an enduring faith. And we look at the model of the early church and that the spirit of God had been poured out on them. And for them, there was nothing else more important than prioritizing these things. I just think for us, maybe it's time for us to again prioritize the weekly gathering of the saints together, a time where we collectively come to hear the word of God. And I'm not proposing that we need to change that to every day of every day. Every week, I don't think it's sustainable. But what I'm grateful for is that technology has made advances. And because of the advances that we have in technology, any of us who have a smartphone can pull it out and download any version uh, or translation of the Bible that we want and have instant and immediate access to be able to read it whenever and wherever. If technology isn't your thing, there are paper copies of the Bible that we have access to. And some of you might say, well, I don't have a paper copy. Well, there's some in the baskets around the auditorium, and we'd encourage you to take one as our gift to you today. But even when we look at the increased accessibility to the Bible, I don't know that it's led to increased utilization. But as followers of Jesus, it's our duty and our joy to know what the Bible says and to obey it. There's something remarkable when the body of believers has a hunger for God's word in private, right? It's reading it outside of these services. And then when the body comes together to hear from his word in a public worship service. The second practice that we see the early believers uh, practice was they devoted themselves is to fellowship. The early believers devoted themselves to fellowship. Their fellowship with one another was first rooted in their fellowship with God. God was at their foundation. These early believers devoted themselves to God and to each other. And we go back to this thought that our faith in Christ is is individual, but yet it's also together. And as we think of this word fellowship, God desires to spend time with us. And I don't know about you, but for me, like that's just hard to comprehend. That the maker of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords would desire to have deep fellowship with me, it's mind boggling. God also desires that we would spend time with others who are created in his image, who are also followers of him. The Greek word that's translated in this passage to fellowship is koinonias. This word means fellowship and community, participation and intimacy. And we see in the early church, their togetherness, their fellowship was a tight knit group of people. And it's miraculous when you think about how there were these Jews, uh, diverse group of Jews from a variety of cultural and ethnic and social and linguistic backgrounds, and yet they had such close fellowship. 
As we continue to see the gospel spread to the Gentile, the diversity continued to where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. They were devoted to one another like a close family. They were committed to sharing their lives and resources with one another. They had all things in common and were selling off their possessions to meet the needs of those around them. They sacrificed to share their resources, to open up their homes. They shared their time and their stuff to meet the needs of their community. They had a fellowship of love and generosity. They devoted themselves to fellowship with God and others. The third practice that we see in verse number 42 is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. A simpler way to say this is they ate together. And some might would say, well, this passage is referring to communion. But we see uh, in, this, in the context of this passage that while it may include the Lord's Supper, it was also a relational time for them to share a meal. They had this formal time of hearing the preaching of the apostles and then this informal time of just being around one another and sharpening one another. Man, what would it look like if we just had an avenue of that in modern times? And if in modern times, like we could just take what, what we hear in the collective setting and be able to process that with other individuals who are also hungry, well, there is a solution. It's called small groups. And... You were set up. Some of you are like, I want that. Man, what they have sounds so desirable. I want it. You can have it. And so as you came in today, you were handed a bulletin. And on the back of it, it talks about small groups. And there is a QR code. And there are multiple small groups that you can be a part of this year where you can be in community with one another. I don't know exactly which ones they are. There are some small groups that eat together. Right, And so that is, uh, that is an option. But on here you'll see small groups for specifically for men, small groups specifically for women. The men of iron is what the men's small groups are called and sisterhood is what the women's small groups are called. And then there's regular small groups and there's classes and there's all kinds of stuff. And you can scroll through that. And I would encourage you to sign up for that and to be able to sharpen one another. You can get together with your small group as much as you want. And these believers gathered daily. And I realize that for some of us, it's unrealistic and, uh, and undesirable in our society to gather with everyone. But I will say that the busyness has caused believers to be more and more disconnected and isolated. And I would say now more than ever, we need the consistency of the corporate gathering and the smaller gatherings. In addition to the distractions we each face, there's been a decrease in the knowledge of the things of God and his word. And with the decrease in the knowledge of the things of God and his word has come an increase in, uh, in, 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 an increase in insecurity, which only feeds this loop back to, uh, back to a lack of knowledge of the things of God. And so with the decrease in knowledge has come an increase in security, which only feeds back to the decrease in the knowledge. And I just wanna tell us that the cycle must be broken. And the way that the early church broke this cycle of ignorance is they gathered together in large groups and in small groups frequently. They gathered together daily. They realized that 3,000 people and then some added every day needed an outlet to be able to hear the things of God and rub shoulders with those that were a little further in their race of faith than what they are. 
I'm sure that some of them were uncomfortable in the settings that they were put in, but sometimes we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Here's a practical example. A few years ago, there was a Men of Iron event at Jim White's house. There was a spread of guns like no other. And part of that spread of guns was a 55 caliber handgun. Matt Fordyce had that in uh, uh, that 55 caliber handgun. If you don't know what it looks like and what it does, it shoots Civil War sized cannonballs out of it uh, just with the grip of your hand. Uh, that might be an exaggeration, uh, but it is a very, very large gun. And there were some men in our church that were firing that at the range, and they asked me if I wanted to shoot it. And every bit of me wanted to shoot it, but I also didn't want to look like an idiot in front of them. So I was conflicted. If I wanted the experience and knowledge, then I had to put myself out there. And so I began to ask uh, probably what they thought were the dumbest questions. Like, is this gonna come back and hit me in the head? And, uh, and some of you might be laughing, but when I sighted in a muzzle loader, you know, not long before that, I didn't have it tied up against my shoulder. And of course it happened on a Saturday. And you're like, well, if, why, why does it matter that it happened on a Saturday? Well, because I get to do this. And so that Sunday morning, I got to stand up here with a unicorn horn sticking out of my forehead. And so you can understand why I would ask the question, is this thing gonna come back and whack me in the forehead? You know, like, is, is this thing gonna break my hand? And uh, I'm sure there were other stupid questions, but here's the deal. I trusted the relationship of the person I was asking and the environment I was asking it in. And so I had that experience and I was grateful for the experience. And so how do we go from being an infant Christian with little knowledge of the Bible to the next level? You break bread with believers who are maybe a little further in their walk than you, where you can build relationships where it's safe to ask questions and in environments where it's appropriate. Small groups are that place. I knew the gun was powerful. And while I'd seen it in the hands of others, I had no idea what to expect when it was in my hands. And I'll just tell you that the word of God is powerful. And how comforting it is to have people come alongside you and help you see its power in a controlled setting. Not only do we gain the knowledge of the word of God in small groups, but we're challenged to live it out. It's not just about the accumulation of knowledge. It's about the rubbing shoulders and being pushed to live it out. This life of faith is a journey. And as followers of Jesus, our journey is in this temporary home. And our temporary home is a fallen world where sin abounds. There's imperfection in sin all around. And we still struggle with sin. And there are landmines all around us. And I struggle with sin. And you struggle with sin. And it seems like it's easier to find fault and see the sin in others. And then we act surprised when they have that same ability that we have to judge others, right? But it's another great reason for us to live out this Christian faith together so that others can call us out and call us up. As we're in close proximity to others, people will see things in us that are blind spots and can help us be better in every area of our life, right? We need people who we're known by and we know them, I'll tell you, there is nothing more uncomfortable for me than what happened a few weeks ago when my wife was upset with me and I still got to stand up here and preach a message twice. And to top it off, my in-laws were sitting on the front row and they knew that I knew that she was mad at me. There is nothing like the accountability in that moment when I have to preach the word and live it out. Right, I'm sweating profusely right now because every bit of me wanted to phone it in and be like, PG, you're up. 
You got this Sunday. Well, aren't you here? Yeah, I'm here, but somebody else is preaching today. Like I wanted to run from that moment, but I couldn't run from it. I had to engage in it. And I'm grateful to be able to have someone in my life that's in close proximity to, not when we're fighting and we're disagreeing. I hate those moments, right? But I love that I can't stay in that moment. Instead, I've got to move on from that moment and continue to grow in my relationship with my wife and grow in my relationship with others. And when we're not in close proximity to others, there's no one there that's pushing us to move on. Maybe I'll say it another way. Maybe for some of you, there's no one there that's pushing you to grow up. There's no one that's saying to you, it's it's time for you to be a man. You need a man up in this moment. Or maybe for some of you, it's time for you to be a woman and grow up in this moment. When we're in close proximity with one another, then we give people permission to know us and we know them. We're able to sharpen one another. Paul writes in Colossians chapter three, verse number 12 through 17, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The things that he writes about in this passage can only be experienced if we are relationally connected, if we're doing life together. This was the importance of them breaking bread together. And I love that scripture doesn't paint this rosy Pollyanna picture of what doing life together looks like. Instead, it's a lot of work. Verse number 12 says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It's like, here's this, he says, here's your uniform. And on the back of it, this is what this uniform represents. So I don't wanna say this is what this, who this uniform was sponsored by or made up of, but this is what this uniform that he's calling us to put on uh, represents compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse number 12, this is what he says, put this uniform on of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Some of you are like, you had me until patience. Right, but this is what we're instructed to put on. And, and verse number 13 says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another implies a willingness to endure with other believers despite differences and frustrations. Come on, y'all, we need to bear with one another. If we're gonna be and practice this togetherness, it's gonna require us to, that despite our differences and frustrations to endure with other believers. He continues in this passage, he said, if one has a complaint against another, doesn't he realize that there's no way in a church that someone's gonna have a complaint against another? Like, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking when he wrote this, but in our church, in our day and age, nobody has a complaint ever against someone else because nobody ever offends anybody else. Like, we have the least offended uh, people on the planet, Right? 
Yeah, thank you for catching that sarcasm. Some of you are like, I'm not in the right place because I'm offended about everything. But here's what he says. If one has a complaint against another, post it on Facebook and take them down. If one has a complaint against another, write off church and small groups and everything related to God altogether. No. He says, if one has a complaint against another, what does it say? Y'all help me out. Forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. Look, no one said it would be easy. Sometimes we are the offender and sometimes we are the offended. But we see in the word of God that we are to forgive each other. And the motivation for that continues in verse number 13. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In addition to these characteristics that we see in verse number 12 of compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Verse number 14 says, above all of these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This means that we find our identity by looking up to Christ, not by looking around. We find our happiness and our satisfaction solely in him. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were, uh, you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He continues by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Let me let you in on a secret this morning. This passage was not written specifically to pastors. It was written to all believers that we're to do these things. We need to be people who, who will teach the Bible, who will know the Bible. We need people who will help us think about, think about life biblically in places where we aren't. And he writes that as followers of Jesus, as believers, we're to teach and admonish people in the word of God. We need people to help us see ourselves with biblical accuracy so change can take place in our lives. These believers broke bread together daily and they taught and admonished one another in the word of God. We hope to accomplish some of that in small groups and how many know that we need it? Right, like we need more exposure and more knowledge of the word of God. And again, not just with the knowledge, but with people who will help us live it out. The final practice in this list from Acts chapter two, verse 42, is they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. So daily they gather to hear the teachings of the apostle. They gathered daily in fellowship and togetherness. They gathered daily to eat bread together. They gathered daily to pray together. They met with purpose. How powerful to be part of a group of people that together were praying for one another. And as we look at these four things that they did, 
And again, I'm not saying that it's sustainable or a model of how we should do church today. But I think as we look at these principles that there would be a commitment to prioritize the corporate gathering, the proclamation of the word of God. That in addition to that, we would supplement that with our daily time with God of reading and learning, memorizing his word. That we would prioritize deep fellowship with others where we would be known and be known by others. And part of how we would accomplish that is by opening up our homes, being available to people, breaking bread together. Y'all, I'm so grateful for this building and some of the things that it enables us to do. So many of the different small groups that we meet, that that we have meet here in the building. And I realize on Wednesday nights, especially for those with young kids, it's super convenient. You show up, you park, you drop your kids off, you check them in to the rooms, and then you go to another room in the building. And maybe for some groups, that's a necessity in the season, but I think that we miss out when we don't open our homes to one another. I think there's some biblical hospitality that we see even in Acts chapter two that takes relationships to a whole nother level. That when I invite you into my home and you invite me into your home, you're gonna see some of the best parts of my house and you might see some of the flaws in my house. Right, you're gonna see some of the best times of my communication with my wife and with my kids and if you're in my house long enough, you're gonna see some of the worst parts about the conversations that I have with my wife and my kids. And in that close proximity, then you can look at me and say, why are you being a jerk right now? Be a man. And I can be like, you're right. Don't like being confronted. I wanna justify and defend, but you're right. I need to be better and I need to be different. When we're in close proximity, when we handle a situation well and somebody says, wow, you, that was amazing how you handled it. They can encourage us in the right things. the fourth thing that they did was they prayed together. Can you imagine? Like having a group of people that daily you just pray with. Right, a a morning check-in call that just says, how can I pray for you today? And to know that people are genuinely doing it. And the way that these early believers did this was so inspiring to others. Verse 43 says that all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common as they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They did these four things They did them together and they did it with a glad and generous heart. Christ is our foundation. And one of the building blocks of our faith is togetherness. We worship together. We hear the proclamation of God's word together. We have deep fellowship with one another. We break bread together and we pray. And it's still a tremendous building block for us to build a faith that endures. Wearsby in the Bible exposition commentary writes this about the Christians in the book of Acts. He says, the Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily, 
They care daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily and increased in number daily. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a once a week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the spirit. How inspiring. Let's make sure that Christ is our foundation. And then let's live out this race of faith together. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say today, I wanna become a follower of him. I want with my own mouth to do as the Bible says, to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. The word of God tells us that when we do that, that we're saved, saved from an eternity in hell, to be the recipients of the free gift of eternal life in the presence of Jesus forever. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. One, two, you can put them down. Three, are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Let's all stand. There were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear heavenly father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior, be my king. Take over every area, take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, I would ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We would encourage you in the decision that you've made today and the journey that God wants to take you on. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I wanna pray for us in Then in just a moment, the worship team's gonna lead us in another song. The prayer team's gonna make their way to both sides of the stage. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you as soon as they begin to sing out that you would step forward. I wanna say this before I do and uh, and before I pray. When we look at what happened in Acts chapter two, there's this moment for the church of uncertainty, right? Jesus has has been hung on a cross, he's died, he's been buried. You have the celebration of the resurrection three days later. Then he's walking with them again and then he ascends into heaven. 
what a confusing time for the church. And he tells them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which would be better for them and even greater for them. And while you wanna trust the words of Jesus, still how challenging to believe that and wait for the promise. But they gathered together and they waited. They waited without a past of that gathering being something that turned into something supernatural. But they gathered with this expectation in their heart in unity, and as they did, the Spirit of God was poured out on them in a mighty, in a supernatural way. And it was from that moment that these people cared nothing about anything else except for growing in their relationship with God and helping others to grow in their relationship with God. And as they met, signs and wonders continued to follow them. And I think about the frequency, which again is not sustainable or even a model that we should try to attain, but I I look at the frequency of how much time they spent in the word of God and in deep fellowship with one another them breaking bread together in the amount of time that they spent in prayer. And what came from that was a tremendous, tremendous amount of growth for the kingdom of God. And so I just wanna close with this as I go into prayer of just that God, would you increase our appetite and our urgency for the things of your spirit? And with that increase of appetite, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Right, do we do as McKenzie talked about, do we just remain faithful until he shows up? And I just wonder for how many they're waiting for this supernatural moment and then the consistency will happen. And if we just have that in reverse order and instead there needs to be faithfulness and consistency. And as the body of Christ says, there's nothing more important than these things then we begin to see him work supernaturally more and more in our midst. If you want that, would you lift up your hands all across this room on and pray over our church. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your favor to our church and this community in this moment of time. God, we thank you that almost every single week we are seeing people being added to the numbers, not for attendance sake, but people who are becoming followers of you. God, we're grateful that you're moving supernaturally of turning hardened hearts back to you and opening people's hearts towards you. God, I pray that you would increase our fervency and our urgency and our level of expectation that as we gather, not to just hear some words from a man who's opening up the word of God and and trying to discern what you would have, but God, that we would hear directly from your spirit. Lord, that you would communicate to each person in this room what only you can. And so God, as you poured out your spirit mightily in Acts chapter two, we ask for a revival and an outpouring of your spirit in our life. God, we pray that we would start with the basics of learning your word and growing in our knowledge and experience of your word. Lord, that we would do that in, in, together in deep community and relationship with others where we're, we know them and we're known by them, where they can sharpen us and call out the word of God living and active in us in a greater way. 
God, we thank you for the joy-filled parties that we can have as followers of you as we come together and have meals and we open up the word of God together and we process it and digest it and spur each other along in this race of faith. And God, I pray that as we gather corporately in times of prayer, Lord, that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream, ask, or imagine that miracles would be performed, that prayers would be answered for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.
Before the land. 